0: All right, so we are in First Kings, chapter eighteen, verses twenty-one through forty-six. We're going to back up a little bit and to get a running start at uh, this chapter. This is like, Dave is like, this is that pitch. That's the meatball coming over the plate. You know, the guy. You're standing there and you know you need a hit, and the guy winks to you and he throws you this big old, and you just smack it out of the park. This is that text. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you that um, <laughs> your word never returns void. It always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. Sharper than any two-edged sword, and just amazing that you would give, give us a written copy of your word so we can know and understand you, see the wondrous things that you have done time and time and time again, for us to find ourselves built up and strengthened in you, that we too can be victorious, not through our own abilities, but because we have the one who stands for us because we have decided to surrender our lives to his will. So be with us through this text. We thank you for it. All this we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. We are in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 21-21. Through forty six, I'm going to back up a little bit. Read these. Uh, so, oh, I don't know if I gave you the verses seventeen. I give you uh, seven verses seventeen. I'm going to need you to pop those in real quick if you can. Um, this is somewhat of a I call it kind of call it a one hit fight. I don't know if you guys were in in, pre, in uh, kindergarten or preschool or or. Or junior high where somebody said, this is going to be a one-hit fight. I'm going to hit you and you're going to hit the ground. This, this is what that is. <laughs> but everybody's doing their best to make it more than that. But it's pretty much a one-hit fight. So let's go to verse 17. This is what I call the cheap shot. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, are you he that troubles Israel? And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel but you and your father's house in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you, have for, and you have followed Baalim. So this is interesting, and Dave kind of covered this, because that term there, troubled, is like hexed, taboo, um, you've brought evil on us, you've, you've disturbed, you've caused calamity. And he's saying, oh, Elijah, you're the one that did it. And Elijah's going like, sorry, dude, if you had followed the Lord's commandments... I wouldn't even be here right now, Amen. right? When a prophet shows up at your door and goes, uh, hey, Corey, can we talk for a minute? It's like, oh, Lord, right? And like, Corey's like, okay, I'll take care of what you want me to take care of, right? You close the door and you go do it, right? Because <laughs> I've had that, right? Where somebody's there to give you a word. The reason they give you a word is because the word has come already. God has tapped on your heart, tapped on your shoulder, and you say, I'm not going to do that. And then God sends... He sends me Neil and says, uh, Benny. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Okay, I'll just do it. Elijah wouldn't even be here. So this guy taking a cheap shot to say, ah, you're troubling Israel. And he goes, no. If you had done the Lord's commandments, we'd be good. I'd be like, Ahab, you're the man. So that's why I call it It's a cheap shot, right? And here's the thing about disobedience. Let's go to Galatians six, seven and eight. At some point you're gonna pay for it. It's gonna come, it's gonna come around. You think, oh, I'll keep pushing it off, pushing it off, pushing it off. But Galatians six, seven and eight says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man sows, that will he also reap. For he that sows to the to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. No prophet shows up when you're reaping life everlasting, right. right? Nobody's going to show up and, and, and tell you, oh, you need to follow God's commands." It's like, no, dude, all's good. I'm walking in the victory of the Lord. He's guiding my life. My life is amazing. People will say that to you. Benny, how's your life? I'm like, amazing. Surrendered everything I got. It's like, here, Lord, it's all yours. Can I have that? Oh, please, take it. Right? You can have it all. Because the less I keep, the better off I am. And I don't have to be accountable for anything. Right? I don't have to figure out how much money I got in the bank. I don't have to figure out wh- how good my car is. I don't have to figure out any of that. Because I have sowed to the spirit. And I, let, and I don't need a prophet to come tell me, Benny, you've been messing up. It's like, no, God, it's yours. You want to talk to me? Free, free course. Right? The good things in this life and the next are coming your way. But you can't sow to the flesh. And expect crop failure. Right? That's what people always say. You want to wanna sow, you know he's gonna sow his wild oats and then expect crop fa- failure. Nope, it's coming. You sow to the spirit. The law of sowing and reaping is firm and sure, and it's with a written guarantee. God wrote it, it's coming. Right? So that first one's the cheap shot. Ahab takes a cheap shot, doesn't work. Elijah clearly tells him, No, it's your problem. Fix it and I I won't show up again, right? Verse 19, Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel to Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all of the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together to Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long do you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. (laughs) All the people answered him not a word. There's not a more sad text in all of scripture than to stand there when you are challenged or chastised and you just kind of go, You don't get mad. You don't get sad. What's the opposite of love? What's the opposite of love? Think again. What's the opposite of love? Who said it? Apathy. Hate takes emotion. It takes passion. I've hated people. It takes passion. You can't do it. Apathy is like, "Eh, I don't care. I don't care if they ever die. This is where we are these guys are apathetic about the lord god the eternal one they're kind of like uh eh, whatever wait do you have anything to say no uh, right and this whole idea is is to jump or pass over two divided opinions <laughs> right? that's like wait stand stand someplace wait no neither one Right? It's also the idea of hesitating. When somebody says, oh, God, there's somebody crying out there. There's, there's food over there. And you kind of go, uh, well, um, but you're starving. Oh, uh, right? right? Make a decision. That's all this is. They're standing there with two worldviews, and they will not just pick one. Is Baal the one, or is Jehovah the one? Pick one. Hey, pick wrong. Pick poorly, but pick, right? Isn't that what we see? I mean, I saw this all during the pandemic. Choose. Are you going to serve God, or are you going to let the government and everybody else tell you who to serve? Pick a side. Please, pick a side. We don't care either way. Because those, who, those of us who are going to follow God are going to follow whether you're with us or not. Amen. But don't stand on, well, you know, we need to follow the government. Oh, but we need to follow, follow what Jesus tells us to do. Pick, no, you can't do both. Because the Je- Jesus and the government, the, they're going to conflict at some point in time. You better say, Jesus who I follow, if it conflicts with the world, I must obey God rather than man. Period. Amen. No compromise. Don't think twice about it. Don't, you know, try to, you know, oh, I need to, I need to, I need to write this down. I need to do a spreadsheet and calculate. No, just choose Jesus. Amen. Period. Because everything of this world will fail. This one simple song, and I sing it a lot. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the thing of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your face. Look Doesn't matter what's going on here, your eyes are fixed. No one can change that. But here, we don't know which worldview they have. They will not even declare that they love Baal or love Jehovah. To me, that's like that's who could be in a worse state than that. James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lack wisdom, that means you can't figure this thing out. You're like, Lord, I got this whole crazy thing. As I've been talking in Daniel, I got the whole mess of iron trying to mix with miry clay, and I can't. It's just a mess, and I don't know what to do with it. If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally. That means, hey, you need wisdom? Here you go. Wait, hold on. Let me give you another bucket, right? It's not this idea of like, oh, here's an eyedropper. No, you ask for wisdom, he'll pour it on you. And this is the best part. And he will not upbraid. That means he won't hurt your feelings or berate you. Right? How many of you have gone, gone to a parent or gone to an uncle or cousin and said, you know, I'm in really bad trouble. Could you help me? Blah, blah, blah. And what do they do? You're always coming to me because you can't handle your own money. You can't handle your own life. Blah, 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 Right? I just asked for a little help. I didn't need a lecture. I just asked for help. Well, you, you need to take care. God is saying, I will pour my... Knowledge and wisdom on you liberally without limitation, and I won't even hurt your feeling. You're gonna feel better and better and better through your life when you ask for the wisdom of God and He gives it to you. I can tell you from the truth, I have had technical things that I couldn't figure out, and I asked for His wisdom and He I figured it out. And people say, How'd you figure that out? It's like I prayed. You prayed about a technical thing? It's like, yes, I couldn't figure it out. What am I supposed to do? If I'm going to live the example of asking for wisdom from my heavenly father, then I better do that in all my life, not just my Christian life. Oh, but that's supposed to be incorporated in all the other stuff too, right? There's no limitation on the wisdom he'll give you. But you can't stand here and say, well, I don't want to choose God. I kind of, I don't know if I want it. Ah, you know, it's kind of, no, ask for wisdom and he will give it. It will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he will receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That's our people right now, completely double-minded, right? And now the challenge. So we got the cheap shot, right? got the chastisement for not making a stand. The challenge, verse 22 Then said Elijah to the people, I, even I, am only the only prophet remaining of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them, for this reason, give us two bullocks. And let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under. But I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And that that Lord there, some, some of your Bibles is capital, that is Jehovah. And the God that answered by fire, let him be God. All right. Now, Dave kind of covered who Ba'al was. I'm going to read you just a little bit because Dave, I mean, he I loved that's why I love sitting here listening, because he just he'll give you the background of it. When we went through Exodus, he was like, okay, this was a pharaoh that was in power during, the, uh, during uh, when Moses went in. This is who was in charge when this happened. I was like, okay, you got great background. You know that there's an actual historic timeline that goes along with what we're talking about in the Bible. And Baal is a Canaanite or Phoenician deity, con- considered the son of the chief god El. In artistic depiction and archaeological findings, Baal took the shape of a bull or a ram, and had association with fertility. This God also apparently, according to Canaanite lore, defeated El and had association with the, with sun, with the sun and thunder. <laughs> and all the foreign gods, the Israelites, came in contact with. They appeared to struggle the most with worshiping this one. Do you remember what they built when they came out of Egypt? The first God they built, right? <laughs> He's not in his head. What? A bull, right? It's like, come on, guys! It's <laughs> he clearly said, "There's no image of me." Oh no, we're going to make a bull because that's the most powerful god. Then here we go, right? Um, and uh, there's other records that show that he was the god of the weather, with particular power over lightning, wind, rain, and fertility, right? <sighs> and so after the challenge, all the people answered and said, it is well-spoken. Yeah, okay, we're going to do this, right? Let the contest begin. Oh, <laughs> Let's go, all right, Let's go. Frederick Douglass said, One in God makes a majority. So here we go, weighing in at a whopping 81,000 pounds, the challenger, the prophets of Baal. Woo! And our undefeated champion, weighing in at a mere 180 pounds, plus infinity, Jehovah and Elijah. Yeah, right? That's what I'm talking about. Let the contest begin. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first. For you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. (sighs) Morning till noon, really? And they said the same Four words over and over and over and over. Getting monotonous yet? Imagine being at this contest, right? And you're standing there waiting for okay, I just I just told you, right? The God of Thunder. Kind of like Thor, right? The whole God of Thunder. God of lightning. The God of wind and the God of rain. Nothing. Nothing. Till noon. Come on. Three hours. Nothing. But no, there was no voice nor any that answered. And they leaped on the altar with which was made. And it just so happened at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, cry louder. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. Come on. The world, right? What do they do? What do they do? Complete defeat. And what do they do? Redouble our efforts. We're going to redouble our efforts. We're going to demand bigger mandates. Okay, we don't want just masks now. We want masks and hoodies and, right? What you, this was an epic failure. You know it was an epic failure. Everything over the past year has been an epic failure. And what are they going to do? We're, right, more mandates. Now, a mandate, if you don't know, if you don't obey a mandate, there's no consequence. Because a mandate is a choice. I put out a mandate, Neil. I'd like to mandate that you not wear flip-flops anymore. <laughs> Neil could say, um, "I will hit you with this flip-flop in the head." Right? <laughs> right? Because a mandate—that's what a mandate is. It's not a law. There's no leak le- There's nothing legally binding about it. Right? There's nothing legally binding. Right? So here. They have gone till noon. Nothing has worked, so they're going to redouble our efforts. Futility is what we have here. Absolutely futile, right? That's why it's like, look at the world, wisdom of the world. Look at the wisdom of God, right? Always perfect, always pure, always gentle, always makes sense, right? It is. Dave, I think Dave said it this morning. The wisdom of God, you can always apply it to your life, always, there's not going to be something you read. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Can you apply that to your life? Amen. Easily, right? Okay, we're going to need you to, uh, right? Yeah, I can pick any dumb law that they've created, and you're going like, but that contradicts the other law. How, how am I supposed to make that work? That's exactly why the wisdom of God, we need to ask for it quickly, clearly. Forget the wisdom of the world. Go with the wisdom of God. Right? So now they're crying more and more aloud, and he, he is a God. Either he is talking, or he's pursuing, or he is in a journey, or for adventure he or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. Now most people see this as complete sarcasm. <laughs> if you can't see that, you're not reading the Bible clearly because Jesus was very sarcastic with. The Pharisees. It's like time and time and you roll it because it's like time and time again, Jesus says something. They're kind of going, Ooh, that was us. <laughs> it's like, yeah, dudes, didn't you hear it? Maybe he's talking and he can't pay attention to you right now. Right? Maybe he's pursuing. Now, this one kind of has a bunch of meanings. I won't even go into them, but it basically means he's preoccupied with something. We'll just leave it at that. He's preoccupied. We don't know what that is, so we're going to leave it there. Right? Maybe he's journeying. Can you hear me now? Wait. Oh, Verizon. Hey, wait. Okay, wait. Hello. Wait. I can't. It, that's the idea that Baal's out of range. <laughs> I can't hear him. Oh, you guys. Wait. Come on. He's journeying, so he, he can't. And maybe he's sleeping. Now, I know some of y'all are hard sleepers, right? The house could burn down. An uh, engine from a 747 could drop on the house. Um, you know, dogs and cats are fighting right there in the room, and you're like. <coughs> Wife's shaking you, and, you know, fire trucks, and in the morning you wake up. Hey, honey, what happened to the house? Right? <laughs> right? I'm one of those. I get to sleep, and it's like, okay, I'm done he's sleeping. Really? The God you serve never sleeps or slumbers. That's why I said this is a meatball. If you can't find something to encourage the people of God with, you, I mean, you, you should probably not be preaching. The God you serve never sleeps or slumbers. I don't care what time of night or day it is, you can call and he will answer. You're his child. My daughter, Julianne, if she called me at four in the morning, which she has, I would be right there to make sure she's okay. Why? Papa bear. Simple as that. Papa bear, right? God, he's greater in power and authority, takes care of stuff, will comfort you when you're in pain, will watch over when you're scared. That's why I can go to anywhere in the world and not, have, not be afraid in any way. Why? I will never leave you nor forsake you that you can boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. You can go anywhere in the world. There's nothing they can do to you. Think about this. What's the worst they could do to you? (gasps) Oh, what a bummer. You'll be in heaven with Jesus. You'll get the martyr's crown. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no, not that. Anything but that. I still got to buy my Ferrari. See how how stupid that sounds? I'm waiting to buy my Ferrari when eternal bliss is waiting for me. Never leave you nor forsake you. Your God never sleeps or slumbers. Here, they can't even wake theirs. I mean, I love this. Elijah is mocking them. And they cried louder and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lances. Till the blood gushed out on them. Whew, okay, we lost our G rating. Uh, and, it came to ha- and it happened. When midday was passed and they, and they prophesied till the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. That there was neither voice, nor any answer, nor any that regarded. Nobody paid attention to anything that was going on here. Nobody. What did I say? God of lightning, thunder, rain. What's the problem in Israel right now? Three and a half years of famine because there was no rain. Elijah said, okay, here's, here's the deal. You made, me ha- you made me come here? There's not going to be any rain for three and, three and a half years. Call him, I'll call you in three years and six months and walks away. What are you going to do? Get him back here. Come back. Oh, I can't believe he's walking away. Right? I'm pretty sure that's what Ahab did. Do a little hissy fit. And, and Elijah's like, talk to the hand, right? As he, he goes on about his business, and three and a half years later, he shows up and says, all right, you done yet? You done yet? You done doubting? You done being afraid? You ready to see the power of God? No, we're all going to stand here quietly because we can't tell the difference between Baal and the self existent God. Are we stupid? Yeah, apparently so. Apparently so. This whole 2020, here we could be calling on the sovereign God. Here we could be doing outreach to our community, touching the people that are afraid. And what are we doing? Oh, we better lock the doors. We better stay home, shelter in place. No. There are people out there dying. Our job, our mandate is to kind of be like Gideon, right? Everybody else is afraid, and Gideon says, all right. I got 300 guys. I'm going to war. Right? What did I say earlier? One and God makes a majority. That's what Frederick Douglass said. Three Hebrew children. Fiery furnace. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar, we're not even careful to answer you about this. Because if our God delivers us, so be it. If he doesn't, eh, but we're still not going to worship your God or, ser- or serve the idol that you have made, period. They didn't care. They're like, tch. sometimes you're going to stand alone like Elijah. Other times you're going to have a, a kneel or a, or a dean with you that's going to say, yeah, we're not going anywhere. We've called on the power of God and we're good. So you do your worst. Sometimes you're going to stand alone, and that's okay too, because it's still one, and God is a majority, regardless of what the rest of the world decides. Now, the champion, right? We had the challenger, now the champion. And Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me, come here. Listen up. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Automatically reminded me of Revelations 2, 2 through 5. I know your works and your labor and your patience, and how you cannot bear them that are evil. And you have tried them which say that they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And have borne, have patience for my name's sake, have labored and have not famous, fainted. Regardless of all that, I have something against you because you have left your first love. When you leave your first love, this is like what we're looking at here. The altar gets broken down. The things you once done, the things that once made you passionate for God, the ones, the things that once made you on fire for God. People say... I remember when you were so on fire for God. And you kind of think, yeah, I remember those days too. What happened? Right? Well, you're probably busy doing all the right stuff, right? Because that's what Jesus is saying here. You're doing all the right stuff. You hate evil. You're laboring. You're working. You're, you're steadfast. But you left your first love. That passion, that drive that you once had, you don't have. And now the altar's like, wow, I remember when I used to come to this altar all the time and have a great time with the Lord. And they look at it, it's gone. You know, it makes me think of Haiti. We went to Haiti. And I don't know if you guys have seen uh, Chronicles of Narnia, but if you've seen the movie, they go back to Care and it's all broken down, right? And they're like, we remember this. And they're trying to figure it out. And then all of a sudden they see the, the throne room where it was, it's all broken down. Why? Time passed, and everybody forgot. Everybody forgets where they are, what they're doing, and gets preoccupied with other things. In Haiti, that was the same thing we saw. There was this area in Christianville. Thank you. There was this area in Christianville that was a prayer circle that was built specifically for that, for all the staff and, and uh, leaders on the campus to come and pray. It was overgrown with weeds. Right? And, stone, and stones, yeah. They just left it. And we met a sweet young lady there, Elizabeth, and she was like, this used to be the place. Same idea. The altar of the Lord has been broken down and no one's concerned except for one guy, Elijah. All I can tell you, (laughs) right? thank you, the champion. That's who we gotta be. Everybody else wants it to fall apart? No, I will keep the stones in place. If I have to stand there, with them, with my hands on them, that's our. That's what we're required to do. Stand firm in the face of adversity. You have left your first love. Remember the place where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and will remove your candlestick out of its place, except you repent. Repent. Turn around. Go back to where you started. That's all repentance is. I'm wandering this way, kind of aimlessly doing my own thing. God says, repent. Turn around. Go that way. Get back to the cross. Don't wander back and forth. Don't kind of think, well, you know, I think I have a shortcut there. No, take the long cut. Take the way that caused you a little more pain and aggravation and a little more pain. Right? Go that way. Build your strength in the Lord because that's what we seem to be lacking Right now, that we're not strong for the Lord. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, "Israel will be your name." And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar. Imagine this. This is a this is a prophet. He's got stones he set up. He's built in a, digging a trench. <laughs> this dude, is just. But we're not done yet. He's going to do all of this, right? He builds a trench that can contain two measures of seed. I have no idea what that size is, but this is this is a man who is serious about his relationship with Jehovah. He's not messing around. He built the altar. He built the altar. In its place. Put, ston- put Brought 12 stones together. Put those together. One for each of the children. Each of the tribes. And he put the wood in order. Now I looked this up one time. This is crazy. It's not just kind of going. No. This is. This is this complicated idea. Of building an altar. Right, and he's not done yet. He cuts the bullock in pieces. (sighs) All right, and you guys ever skinned an animal? Yeah, (laughs) right. You shake your head like, yeah, done it. It's not simple, is it? No, no. It takes so. This is this is okay. He repairs the altar. Gets twelve stones. Oh, there's one over there. Oh, there's one over there. Twelve stones. Digs a trench. Cuts up the bullock. Lays it on the wood that he's already put in order. As I said, even that's not a, that's a complicated. And then he says, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt burnt sacrifice and on the wood. All right, so he's got his servants. They get it. Hey, do it again, right? So now we're up to eight. Oh, and he said, do it a third time. And they did it the third time. So now we're up to 12 buckets. Hmm that number sound familiar to you? 12 and 12 stones and 12 pockets. <laughs> right. it's all, God always, his numbering system always works. One for each of y'all tribes. You guys won't get it. Here we go. Right? <laughs> Thanks, Lee. <laughs> He's like, yep. God's numbering system is always perfect. And the water ran round about the altar and filled the trench also with water. So that means he drenched the sacrifice. All the rocks, everything from the sacrifice, the trench around, all filled with water. And it happened at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Here we go. Now we're on it. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. And that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people, as we like to say, this group of knuckleheads may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back again. He's going through all of this to turn their hearts back to God. That's why I said that's, that's what we're here to do. If you stand as light in a dark place, people are going to be like, uh, it's, uh, is that light over there? Right? You guys are watching this world get darker and darker. You're witnessing it day by day. You watch the news if you have the stomach to do it. Right? You hear the stuff at work. You hear, right? You're, these people are in complete darkness, a light standing on a hill. They're like, there's hope, right? There's hope to turn their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Finally, they got it. But standing there with no opinion whatsoever, eh, that's never good, right? And now the consequences of idolatry. And Elisha said to them, take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And he took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. And Elisha said to Ahab, you better get up and eat and drink, for there's a sound of abundance of rain. Had he heard it? No, he just knew. <laughs> he knew that rain was coming. And Ahab went up to eat and drink. And you understand that this was from morning until evening. So nobody had taken a break for lunch. Nobody had, had a snack or cliff bar or anything, right? This was from morning till evening that all this went on. Can you imagine how long it took Elijah to build the altar and put everything in place? A couple hours, I'd imagine, at least, easily. Right? So, the, so he tells you, oh, you better go eat because it's, it's, about, it's about to come. Right? But Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and he cast himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees and said to his servants, Go up now. Look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And from Carmel, I looked up the map. From Carmel, you have your Mediterranean Sea coming down. Carmel is probably... From my estimation, probably if you're doing a, a what they say, crow, uh, the crow flies, you're probably looking at 20 miles, which on a clear day, you can see forever. I mean, on a clear day, you can see the Mediterranean Sea, right? So he probably looked out and was like, wow, it's beautiful out there. Top of Carmel, all the Mediterranean Sea in there in front of you. Elijah, I don't see anything. Go again. Seven times. Hey, is that a great number or what? Seven times, a number of completion. And it happened at the seventh time that his servant came back and said, there is arising a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. "Mm, Yeah, it's about that big. That means it was way out there, right? He's like, oh, yeah, it's not very big. And it happened in the meanwhile that the heavens <laughs> were black with clouds and wind, and there was great rain. So we're talking that storm came rushing right into shore. First it's this, then it's, oh, man, it's here. Oh, what was, what was Baal the God of? Thunder, lightning, wind, rain. You got it? Three and a half years, nothing. Elijah, by his word, prays. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. The, the heavens were black with clouds and wind, and there was great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. That's about 25 miles. All right. So he took his little skirt, ugh, tucked it in his belt, and he outran horses. He outran horses. He told him to get in your chariot. I hear the abundance of rain. He outran the horses 25 miles. If that's not enough power for your God to do through a mere man, I don't know what is. He ran 25 miles before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This is what the power of God can do for those who will surrender themselves completely to him. He says, I and I alone am the only prophet of God. Okay, so you and you alone are the only saint of God in a 2,000-man company. What do you want? What do you want? You want to see the power of God there? Or are you going to shrink back and say, oh, I don't want to offend anybody? It's okay to stand. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. They'll fire me. And then they'll be amazed. It's like, hey, Neil, how are you making out? Oh, I can't even tell you. God is doing more in my life now than I could ever have seen done. Why? Because you surrendered. You stood firm. They fire you. So I said, what's the worst that could happen? They kill you. That's the worst. What's the best? That they get to see the glory of God in your life. They get to see the power of God working through your life where you are doing amazing things because you just trusted him. Not because you're some super person or any of that. Just because you trusted him. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, he outruns chariots. And we would say, well, that's not really a spiritual exercise. Well, it is for us. Because we get to see that the power of God worked in this mere man to give him the power to do something amazing. And that's what he wants for your life as well. Amen. He, didn't hear, he didn't call you here to be ordinary. He didn't call you here to be, oh, I want to just blend in with the rest of the crowd. No, I know some of you guys, and I know from your testimony, you guys don't blend in anywhere. You think you do, but you don't. Because you stand out like a sore thumb, which is exactly what you're supposed to do. Stand out like a light in darkness. You walk into a grocery store, somebody says something to you, and automatically the glory of God comes out of you. You can't keep it in because you know who your God is. You know the power that he's put in you. You know where you work. They know it's like, okay, oh, yeah, that guy loves Jesus. You might, you might want to not talk to him today, right? He just came from whatever he came from, and he's, he's feeling really good about the Lord today. But you know something? When they're in trouble and things are going horrible, you're the one they're going to call. Oh, was it Carol who told us that story? Carol is one of the re- ladies in the retirement home that we uh, talked to. Born again Christian, loves God, just precious. She said that this kid, when she was working, was ready to take this woman home and sleep with her. And all of a sudden, her face came up. All he could see was her face. Now, she has nothing to do with that. She's just living a godly life, trusting God, working there. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit was this woman's face that he could not do what he wanted to do. That's what I'm talking about. He came to work the next day and said, I was going to do this thing and all I could see was your face. And I knew what I was doing was wrong. Is When well, she told me that story, I'm like, that's what God does. Here, God's got you marked out for salvation or marked them for salvation or whatever. He'll do whatever he needs to do to draw those people to him, to also stop people from going into sin. That's what the Holy Spirit does here, to convict us of sin. But also, he gets to tell us, convince us of righteousness, saying, you're doing good, Melinda, keep going. You're doing great, keep going, right? That's the other side of this. So, stand. that's all I can tell you. Times are going to get more and more stupid. You think they're stupid now? <laughs> they are going to get worse. You can't mix iron and miry clay together. You can't. This is the empire we're in. But God is awesome and amazing. He's going to do wonderful things to all of your lives as you trust him. Don't take it on yourself. Don't say, oh, I need to, I need to carry this burden. No. Just say, here you go, Lord. And as I always like to say, when you get to the the point of the impossible, get a bag of popcorn, sit down, and watch God work. And you ask me, why the bag of popcorn? Because you want to keep your hands out of anything God's doing. And that's the best way to do it, is to keep your hands in the popcorn and eat it. And when he does it, you'll be like, you're the God. Thank you. Right? Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Your word is amazing. what you did to us Elijah. Wow. What more could we ask for? You be our God. Help us to trust you regardless of what the rest of the world decides to do. That you alone would be glorified. that we would see the power that is in you, because of you, because this is your nature. To do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us. It also says the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. How amazing, how good, how wonderful. We want to know you, we want to know you more, we want to understand that you are the champion. One with God is a majority, and all we have to do is show up. We don't even have to fight. We just need to be there and let you do what you do best. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your goodness, your mercy, your power in our lives. And all this we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. May the Lord dismiss you from this place, but not from his presence. Amen. Amen.